our mothers this great day that we get to honor our moms and all women who've had an influence in raising this next generation of kids. Uh, motherhood is a high calling, and you have the ability. It's such a high calling. It's not just giving birth biologically. It's that you have the ability to shape and influence the next generation. Billy Graham said at one time, probably more than once, but one time I remember, I remember him saying this, that he says, do you realize that our Christian faith is only one generation away from extinction? Because God doesn't have any children, or God doesn't, excuse me, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You know, I'm not going to be a Christ follower because my mother is a Christ follower. I am a Christ follower because I have to choose to become one. And one of the reasons I did was because of the Christian influence that my mom had on my life. And I hope that was true in some of your cases too. Some of you are Christ followers because of the faith of your parents and your godly mothers. And I hope that is the case in your life that you're raising up your children and your grandchildren. And yes, you're even having an influence if God graces you and gives you long enough life like Shirley over here. Because her son told me today that there's four generations of your family here in church today. Uh, a son, a granddaughter, and grandkids. And he said some of those little crumb crunchers that were up here on the stage, you know, they were uh, great-grandchildren of Shirley. So what an honor uh, of a godly woman who's having a godly influence in her own family and among so many other people. So we honor uh, that type of person. You know, you can only, you, you learn certain things from your mother. I, this is sort of tongue-in-cheek, so smile with me when I say that. But I learned some important things from my mother. I, I learned about religion. You know, when I spilled grape juice on the carpet, my mother says, you better pray that yet yeah, that comes out. <laughs> I learned logic from my mother. She said, because I said so, that's why. I learned stamina from my mother. Uh, you better sit there at that table until all your spinach is gone. I learned about the weather from my mom. You know, it looks like a tornado swept through your room. You know? I learned about the circle of life, and this is, the, this is the most cliched one of them all. But I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world. <laughs> circle of life. So anyway, we, we love our moms, and we want to honor you guys today. And uh, I hope you get a chance to take advantage of all those resources we were talking about. Hey, when I think of Mother's Day, it reminds me of a Bible passage about a young pastor in the city of Ephesus, which was one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. Biggest areas of influence. I mean, trade came through that place, religion, philosophy, pagan religions. They were all flourishing in the city of Ephesus. And Paul went there, and he started a church there, and he planted a church there. And some 15 years later, Paul leaves one of his young protégés in the city of Ephesus. And as Paul is dying, as Paul is in the Mamertine prison in Rome, getting ready for his own execution by the hands of the emperor Nero, Paul wrote a letter to this now middle, now not so young. He's probably in his 30s, maybe 40s by now. His name is Timothy. Paul wrote him the last letter of his life. And he opens up this letter in Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy... I'm reminded of the faith that you have, Timothy. You sincerely trust the Lord. And the reason you do is you have the same faith that your mother Eunice had and the faith that your, that your grandmother Lois had. So Timothy was a product of two important Christian women in his life. Uh, you may recall that 
Timothy became a member of Paul's missionary team as a teenager, as a young man. Now, Paul goes to the city of Lystra. He'd already planted a church there with Barnabas. They preached the gospel. They come back a couple years later, and they see that the church is flourishing. And there's this young teenage man there. His name is Timothy. And they found out that his mother Eunice and his lowest grand, his lowest grandmother, his grandmother named Lois, was also in the church. Having raised Timothy in a godly way, his dad was not a Christian. He was a Greek, and so he got his Christian influence from his mother and from his grandmother. And so much so that by the time Paul gets to Lystra, Paul is so impressed with Timothy, this young man, that Paul says, I want you to join our missionary team. And Timothy did. And as they say, the rest is history, because Timothy was pastor of this church in Ephesus for years and years, and it's even, there's, there's even some Christian history, some tradition that says that he died uh, protesting one of the pagan festivals in that great city later on, decades later. So uh, that's the kind of women that we're talking about that we admire so much, women that would raise up somebody that grows up to be like a Timothy. Um, so I, I want to shift over now to another book. Timothy was one of the pastoral letters. I want to talk about another pastoral letter. This is the, called the book of Titus, right? So you got to picture the Apostle Paul. He's going around preaching the good news of Christ all over the Roman Empire, all around the Mediterranean world in the first century. And he arrives on the island of Crete. Now, Crete's a pretty good island, pretty big island. It's about 50 miles north to south. It's about 150 miles east to west. It's located two or 300 miles due south of the city of Athens, Greece. So it's right out there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, but it had a large population. And Crete was where Paul went. He preached the gospel. He planted churches. He knows that these Cretans are not the highest caliber culture of people. Because when you read Titus chapter 1, he says, you know, one of their own poets even said, Cretans are evil brutes. They're lazy gluttons. They're drunkards. And whatever this poet said, it's true. You know, it's true about these people. So Paul knew that he had to leave somebody like Titus on the island to help establish the churches and help, help the people know that, look, you've, you've got a good start, but if you want to influence the rest of society, if you, want to, if you want more of your neighbors and friends and people in the community to come to faith in Christ, you're going to have to live the kind of life that's going to be different than the life of the Cretans. You're going to have to live a kind of godly life that makes them stop in their tracks and look at you and say, what is it that you have? Because it's really, it's nice, it's, it's attractive, it's, it's magnetic, and I want, I want what you have. So Paul writes this letter to Titus, and he says, this is the way I want you to teach people how to live their lives. And what we're going to see is, as we get into these verses, is Paul shifts over the focus to women. And he's talking about women and how the women can have a godly influence on the rest of society. So here we are, Titus chapter 2, we begin in verse 1. He says, as for you, Titus, Paul's writing here, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Promote, in other words, teach people how to live life in a way that will reflect the wholesome teaching. And teach them to live such good godly lives that people want to know what they believe. What is it that's changed you? What is it that makes you so different? By the way, and that's, that's actually a good time for us to stop in our tracks right here, 21st century West Sonoma County, and say, by the way, for us who very much like the Christians living on the island of Crete, 
for us who are trying to influence the, the society around us and the community around us to get them to believe in and follow Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader, what is it about our lives? Are we living any better? Are we living our lives any different, any distinct, any more godly a life that, that, is, that is part of our life since we've been coming here to church, since we've given our lives to follow Christ? Are we living any kind of a godly life that would be attractive to people in our community? That's what Paul was talking about, telling Titus to teach the people. So now Paul shifts over from the men. He was talking about the, the men at first, and now he shifts over to the women and how they are to live their lives. Paul addresses first. He's talking first to the older women in the church. Now, older women in the church. I can just see some of you sitting up and going, hmm, is he talking about me? Now, some women can get a little sensitive about their age. I understand. What are you talking about, old women? What are you talking about? You know, you don't, you're saying I'm old? So just so you know, Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, if you're a woman past a certain age. He doesn't talk about how old you are chronologically. He calls, he just addresses it to the older women in the church. I don't think, honestly, I don't think Paul cares about the age of somebody. I've seen people that are young in the church and they're super spiritually mature. Why? Because when they gave their lives to Christ, they dedicated themselves to follow Christ. And I've seen some other people who are older in the church, but they don't look like they've matured much past the first or second year of following Christ. They learned how to follow Christ. They got into it for a little while, and then they just have sort of been in a holding pattern. And they've relived the first or second year of their Christian life for the last 30 years. So just because you're chronologically old doesn't mean automatically that you're spiritually mature. You have to keep on growing and studying and believing and practicing what it means to be a follower of Christ if you're going to mature spiritually. So Paul's saying to these older women, I want you to show the younger women how to live life. So he says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God, to live in such a way that honors God. In the NIV, he says, I want you to teach the women how to be reverent, how to be reverent, how to fear God in a, in a good way, to be honoring Him, re, uh, revering Him with their lives, seeking first His kingdom. Whatever they do or say, does it honor God? In fact, that's a question. That's a moral, ethical question you can ask yourself every time you're about to make a decision. Is what I'm about to do or say or comment on or react to or, or post, is whatever I'm about to do or say, is this going to be honoring to God? Is this likely to advance the Christian faith or is this likely to set it back and say, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind following your Jesus if it weren't for all these Christians? You know, Mahatma Gandhi said that one time, right? He said it would be a lot easier to follow your Jesus if there were any Christians who were actually living the kind of life Jesus said you were to live. So it's, it's pretty convicting on, for, for the rest of us. So he's taught, he says, women, teach, teach the older women to live in a, such a way that they honor God. Be reverent with their lives. And how do you do that? It says in, in verse 3, it's talking about slander. It's talking about speaking evil of each other. And so he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, he says, They must not go around speaking evil of others. Don't go around speaking evil of other people. That's called slander. That's like kicking somebody in the back. I think I remember studying the word gossip one time. And it says gossip is one of those Hebrew words. It's actually a word picture. When you gossip, the person turns their back to you and you kick them in the back. 
That's what gossip is. And that's where slander comes from, right? And they said, don't go around doing that. And then the next command, and I think it's interesting why these two commands are paired together, says not only should they not go around speaking of e evil of others, they must not also be heavy drinkers. In the NIV it reads, teach them not to be addicted to much wine. I don't know if he was talking to Sonoma County or thinking of that when he wrote it. He was in the Mediterranean world. Probably they had a lot of wine in those, in those days. But he says, teach, teach the women not to be addicted to much wine. Don't be addicted to anything. Don't let anything control your life where you wake up and you say, I have to have this in order to get by. If I don't, if I don't drink this or eat this or snort this, I'm not going to get through the day. If that's the, the mentality that goes through your mind, you're probably addicted to something. And Christ followers, they're saying they should be mature by now, these older women. You're to set the example for the rest of the society, for the younger women. Don't be given over to gossip. Don't repeat vicious and unfounded charges against other people. Don't overindulge in wine or alcoholic drink. And, and it's interesting, this is what a commentary said. It said, the co it's interesting, they said, the combination of these two negatives, slander and addicted to much wine, the combination of these two negatives suggests the close connection between a loose tongue and intoxicating drink. Interesting. Isn't it interesting how Paul pairs gossip and slander to drinking a lot of wine? And the why? Because the tongue loosens and people say things that they might not normally say if they were sober. But I would remind you that sober or drunk, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, that's what the mouth speaks. And I've often heard people say things when they were drunk that were probably more honest than what they would normally say sober. So careful what comes out of your mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't be given over to slander or addicted to much wine. So on the positive side, what are you supposed to do, women? It says they're to teach others what is good. Teach others what is good by their example, by the way that you live their life, of teaching good things. They are responsible. It says, older ladies, you're responsible to show, to model what is acceptable and what's a respectable life to the younger women. When you say teaching is what is good, I think Paul was talking about informal teaching, not formal teaching. I think we get in this mind of say, teach the younger women what is good. It's like, okay, all you young women, get over here in the first four rows, and I want you to sit here, and we're going we're gonna to have four or five older women, and they're going to get up, and we're going to get them a microphone, and they're going to show you or tell you how to live life. And you're going to sit there and get a pen and paper, or take notes, or get out your smartphone and write down some notes here, and quit surfing the net while you do it. Make sure you take notes. You know? So, so that's, that's a formal scenario. Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about more of the idea of two women get together and they go out for coffee or tea and they're talking and as they're talking and talking about their families or talking about their marriages, talking about their jobs, talking about their kids, the older, more mature Christ-following woman is imparting experiences. You're, they're telling stories about how they disciplined their kids or what they did when they faced this crisis or when they got in a big fight with their husband and he walked out and left the home for two days. What did they do and how did they reconcile? One of the questions I had today, just, just out of curiosity, is show of hands for the women in the room, how many of you women have been married more than, say, 25 years? More than 25 years, okay? Still married, I mean married to the same guy, right? Well, not like, not like two sets of 20 or three sets of 15. 
but married to the same man. So what that, what that says to me is that you've learned some things about how to reconcile and how to, how to ask forgiveness or how to extend forgiveness to somebody who's hurt your feelings. Right? And that's the kind of wisdom that, can, that sometimes you can only learn over by time and experience. And that's the kind of wisdom that you can impart to the younger women. So you have a lot to share. You have a lot to contribute, a lot to share to those younger women. Remember, um, and, and then it says here, uh, uh, Titus 2.4, it says, Teach these older women. They must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. You know, and I just wonder, like, why would you even have to include that? Why wouldn't that be just a, an automatic given? Of course you're supposed to love your husbands and your children. Well, somehow in the culture of that day, it wasn't just automatic that wives would love their husbands and, and mothers would love and raise and dedicate their lives to raise their children. Apparently it wasn't all that common, but it would be, it would be a hallmark, a distinction of the Christian family that the husbands would love their wives, the wives would love their husbands and their children, that they'd all raise them together in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that kind of lifestyle would be magnetic to the rest of society. That's, that's what I think Paul is hoping for. That's the goal. So it's interesting, back in those days, back in the first century, you know, you, if you were a young woman, you didn't just get to say, hey, mom, dad, just chill out. You know, I got to date a few guys and I'll find, I'll find the right guy to marry. Don't worry. And I'll let you know when I'm about 18. I've chosen, uh, you know, Titus over here or, uh, you know, pick some Ben-Hur name, some first century name that you fell in love with. And this is the person I want to marry. You know, that wasn't the way it worked in the first century. Marriages were arranged by the parents in the first century. There could be a daughter who was born, and she had a, an, another family, a close family friends, and they had a three-year-old son. And from the time that that daughter was born, it's like, hey, guess what? When you guys grow up, you're going to be marrying each other. And so they had to learn how to love the husband whom they were already married to. Isn't that, I mean, that's the unique challenges that they had back in those days. So now we have to learn how to stay in love with the person that we fell in love with in our modern day. After they have, you know, said and done things that are pretty bad and hurt us. And we have to learn how to forgive and how to extend forgiveness and how to ask for forgiveness. And that's how long-term relationships happen in this world. So, so he says, love your husbands, love your kids, and to live wisely, verse 5 uh, he, he, Paul goes on to the wise, to live wisely, to be pure, to take care of their homes, and to be submissive to their husbands. So, talking about what makes a strong Christian family. Why does Paul give all these commands? You, you finally find out at the end of Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. In the NIV, by the way, if you read the New International Version in the New Testament, whenever you read these two words, so that, so that, so that always denotes purpose. Paul says, I'm giving you all these commands so that, in other words, if you guys follow these rules, guess what's going to happen? What, why am I telling you all these things? So that you will do these things so that this good result will happen. And the NIV says, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Or the, the New Living Translation says, so no one will bring shame on the Word of God. You know, to the honorable Jews or Gentiles living on Crete in that day, the presence of this kind of love, that indicated an exceptional wife. And the Christian woman then who sets an example of love and, and putting family first, that 
person sends a powerful message that this, that's understandable even to people who are outside the church. They see what you have, they see the relationship you have, and that is attractive to them, and you tell them Jesus makes all the difference. So, on the other hand, so that no one will malign the Word of God, on the other hand, tragically, even in the Christian uh, culture today, when a Christian family falls apart, when they separate, when they uh, undermine, uh, when they marginalize the, each other in their relationships, um, Every time one of those families falls apart, it undermines the credibility of the Christian faith. So it's like, yeah, I'm just an individual, and who am I, and what difference can I make in the world? You make a, world, you make a positive difference every day you live for God. And you make a negative influence on the world every day you call yourself a Christ follower, but you don't live in such a way that follows God. That's where that cliche came from. You know, that, that person says, you know, what you do with your life is shouting so loudly to me that I cannot hear what you're saying. So the way you live your life has much more to do than just the words that you're saying. I think you're called to speak words that, that uh, tell people that Jesus is the hope of the world. But even as much as you're called to speak those words, you're called to live the life. And that's where the difference comes from. I want to close with a story about a mother and a daughter. And this is a stock photo, so this isn't them, but it's cute, you know. I like that photo, so I threw it up there, you know, and look what makeup and good photo lenses can do. So uh, they're up <laughs> so they're up there, and the, the daughter is six years old. I think her name is Abby in the story, and the mom's name is Barbara. So here's the story of a mom and a daughter. Barbara, she's recalling the conversation that she had with her daughter when her daughter was only six years old. And she says, Mom, so here's the daughter. Mom, there's, there are five things I want to be when I grow up. You know, this, this girl's ambitious, right? I, I could say I wanted to be a fireman, and I thought, hey, that's great. I want to be an astronaut. This girl says, I want to be five things when I, when I grow up. And the mom says back to her, oh, yeah? Well, what are they? She says, I'm going to be a model. I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be a traveler and travel all over the world. I'm going to be an artist, and I'm going to be a singer. You know, and the mom says, hey, there's only one Beyonce. No, that's not what she said, but she said something like, uh, oh, really? Well, you want to be all those things in life? That's great, dear. Well, what about a mom? Don't you want to be a mom? And the daughter says back to her, I don't know. I, I think that's too hard for me. Isn't that interesting? I think that's too hard for me. Now, later in the same day, Abby comes back to her mom, and she says to her mom, it's too bad that you didn't get to become somebody when you grew up. Like, only a six-year-old can say this, and like, say it with a straight face, and the mom's just like, just kill me now, right? But, but, the, but she says, mom, it's too bad you didn't get to become somebody when you grew up. But look at this mom. You want to see motherly wisdom right here? She says, but I am somebody, I replied. I'm your mom. And if I weren't your mom, then you wouldn't grow up to be somebody special when you grow up. Isn't that the truth? Aren't you thankful for the women of God out there, for all the mothers who sacrificed, who gave their lives, who, who invested time and time again, who were so patient with us when we were such brats growing up? 
when, when they gave their lives, they put their own lives in somewhat on hold as they committed themselves to say, we are raising, I am raising the next generation. And I don't want to just raise up people that are nice and polite and good citizens. I want to raise sons and daughters that are world changers. I want to raise sons and daughters that are going to make a difference for Jesus in their generation. They're going to be powerful warriors for God in their own generation. Completing what the psalmist says. Check it out in Psalm 78. This is like moms and dads raising kids today. This is your verse. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About His power and His mighty wonders. You guys do that and you're passing on your faith to the next generation. You're making sure that Christian faith doesn't die out with your kids. You're making sure that they're following Christ. They're leading others to follow Christ. And then when they get married and have kids, that next generation is going gonna, is gonna to follow this same pathway where they're going to learn about the glorious deeds of the Lord. That is just an awesome uh, a verse of hope. It's an awesome challenge to us all. And so I just want to say to all the moms on this Mother's Day, today we honor you. We honor every... Uh, investment that you have made in the lives of your kids, trying to raise up the next generation to become mighty warriors for the Lord.